Hi guys, welcome to Adina Super Basic, a podcast I started recording because I wanted to learn about stuff that I feel super basic about. This episode is about productivity, something that uh, I struggle with so much because I feel like I'm both super productive and nowhere near as productive as I need to be, um, and it just feels like an endless hamster wheel of doom. Um, it's with Chris Bailey, who wrote a book called Hyperfocus that really rocked my world. I've read so many books about this stuff, and his really actually made a huge impact on me, and that impact has stayed with me, and I think about what he said in it all the time, uh, and I'm, I really work every day at being productive kind of in a different way, which you'll hear him talk about. Um, and it's brought to you by Super Good Hemp, a company that'll help you be way less productive. Uh, just kidding, but they make an amazing full spectrum hemp product uh, that you should go check out. And Ashley and Tom, the founders, are friends and they're super hardcore about the quality of their products. Um, she's probably going to kill me for saying something wrong about how it works or, you know, she just Ashley takes it so seriously that you get a product that's very pure and clean and actually does what it says it does. And uh, Adam and I both take the products and we love them. So go check them out. Use the code STAYBASIC for 10% off. And I hope this episode helps you be more productive and less productive. Bye. Hey, nice to meet you. You too. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, me too. Are you ready? <laughs> I, I'm good to go whenever you are. Great, great. Okay. Did they send you a, a copy of the book or did oh, you? Oh, I flew through it. This is the first thing I'm going to tell you. I'm going to confess to you. Oh, I no. did the Audible version, which yeah. I already felt, I was like, this is going to be such an effective way to do this. And then as I learned from you and as I did it, I was like, ah, this is not an effective way to do it. And the way that I... <laughs> realized how right you were is I kid you not the most focused I was was in the last 15 minutes of the entire book hmm. but interesting it feels like it worked it just oh, took seven hours <laughs> it took <laughs> seven hours need. of listening before I was fully focused all anybody needs is seven hours all you need is seven hours, which feels like eternity. I mean, it was so it's, yeah. it was such a fascinating experience because it was such an intense. I knew that I was listening and I, I felt very impacted by every section and every time I listened. But I could feel as the book went on. Oh, yeah, I, I can recognize I'm doing the stuff that he's saying and I'm not letting this like completely sink in because I'm unable to focus on it. So I did get like yeah. better and better throughout the book, but it really was like. In the last 15 minutes, I was like, this is hilarious because I'm finally doing literally nothing but listening to him and it's over. Mm. Well, jo job uh, well done then. That's, yeah, you did it. <laughs> got it done. That, that's awesome. I, I'm thrilled that you like it. Um, it it's, it's weird because, you know, for the audiobook, there's so many visual diagrams and pictures that, that I drew for the the physical book that don't make it. So I was worried that it wouldn't translate well to audio. And so it's good to hear that you enjoyed it. <laughs> no, you did great. I thought it was really good explanations. And I actually think it helped me to have to picture them. Like, that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. You have several points in the book where it's like, 
my mind wants to go super fast and you listening to it it was like okay I need to slow down a second and I would actually so I'd finish listening to a section and I would go recap it to my husband just to I think honestly to make it settle in my mind what you were saying yeah. and then he was like you know what I'm just gonna read this and he's obsessed with it too I'm not kidding oh, that's amazing one of the best books for you know, if we could even put it in the self-help category, but let's say that's what I'm trying to do is say in the general category of like self-improvement, one of the best mm -hmm. books I've ever read by far. Oh, thank you. That yeah. that means a lot that I don't like the I mean word self-help. Yeah, it's, I know. Uh, it, has a it, weird... it's like you're helpless yes, when you pick exactly. up a self-help book, but no. it's, uh, it's more like a science help book. Like how can we use science to to help ourselves just get more shit done. Right. Well, and, <laughs> and this so is what I really liked about it is that I felt like you flipped the script of, hey, like this is like th almost the floaty feeling of like, you're going to feel mm. so good. And it, there's so much, <laughs> you know, your life could be so much better if you just follow these tips. And I actually felt like what you were doing is going, first of all, it's straight up bad for you to not care about this. And second of all, yeah. here's the science in both directions. Like, I think you did an amazing mm. job of going, here's the science that proves that this thing is right. And then here's the science that proves that this thing yeah. that you might think is right isn't. Yeah. And like, I think that's the benefit of starting from the science and working backwards to a book is you don't start with some preconception of the way things should be you begin with how things actually are. And so when you start with that place, like how we think, how we behave, how we act, naturally, just the way that we're wired to think and behave and act, and you work backwards to how we, what, what we should do differently, I think you end up with a different result. Because uh, if, there's, if there's one thing I realized in, in writing a couple books about productivity now, it's that the things that sound good on the surface sometimes aren't and sometimes they kind of trick you in, into writing about them because something sounds so good like waking yes. up early is a good example of that it's not for everybody some people spring out of bed in the morning and some people like me drag their feet all morning and need to ease into the day and the research shows there's no difference in socioeconomic standing based on what time we wake up at. And so if you start with the research and with that assumption, instead of this sepia-toned idea of how you should be living your life, you end up in a different place. And you also, you're kinder to, kinder to yourself in the process, which is nice too. We're, right. we're not kind enough on ourselves when we oh my become God. more productive. Well, and what was so, what really hit me throughout the book over and over was that to start with the premise of how much time are you truly wasting? So this was the first thing that hit me really mm -hmm. hard because I feel like, okay, the early morning thing is a perfect example. I can't even tell you the number of clickbaity articles I've read that are like, you know, what yeah. what all productive people have in common is they yeah. wake up with the sun and every single time I feel bad, but I have a lot of stuff like that that makes me think I'm actually doing something that's good for me. And I just love, so at the beginning of the book, you say, I urge you to even question, do you need to read this book? And I was like, yeah. damn, that is baller. <laughs> and and it really is. And I was like, wow, that's like a huge thing to put out there. And like a really big, almost like a dare. Like, why don't you really yeah. think about it? And then I realized, but what it really, like the way it hit me is, yeah, I need to be reading this one and not 90% <laughs> of the other stuff I'm reading that just makes me feel bad and makes me truly waste time. 
you know? Yeah. Oh, so true. So it's true. So like, <laughs> I don't know. It was amazing. So, okay. So I have a million questions for you. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I do feel like you really covered everything and everyone needs to just go read the book, but it could just be a five minute interview. Go, go the <laughs> <laughs> that would be very productive of us. Yeah. Um, it would be good for sales, but people might hate us. <laughs> <laughs> We'll you be like, guys chatted on Skype, but you didn't have a conversation about the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be like, we just talked about what we wanted to talk about because you need to yeah. just read the book. Um, this okay. is a self-centered episode rather than a listener-centered episode. Yeah, that's kind of the story of my life, sadly, for everyone. <laughs> but hopefully they get something out of it. Um oh, yeah. Okay, so one of the questions I have, you have a section where you talk about, and let's explain it a little bit for everyone, this mm-hmm. idea that if you are doing work that is beneath your, and you can tell me if I got it right, because this will really make yeah. me feel like I was focusing or not focusing. Oh, no, you're good. So if you're working on, if you're doing a bunch of tasks that are beneath your skill set, you will become bored and you'll kind of get aggravated with your what you're doing. And if you're doing work or tasks that are above your skill set or your ability that's when you get stressed and anxious and does that sound right am i explaining that yeah okay yeah that's perfect so Um, my question is is there always in order to get good at something like basically i feel like my life is such a high proportion of work that's above my head even mm -hmm. the stuff that feels like, oh, I should be able to do this without really thinking about it. It's not actually like that. And it's, you know, I started a business. The business is always a little bit beyond my capability. I'm having to, like, learn as I go and keep up as I go. So is that, do you think, and do you have that feeling? Is there a point at which that feeling goes away? Like, is there always a certain amount of you need to be uncomfortable in order to achieve a new skill and you kind of have to just let yourself sit with that or is my life just too stressful? I think there's maybe one day a week in my own work that I feel like I have an understanding of what I'm doing. Wow. (laughs) So if that makes you feel any better. It does, uh, but also now I feel bad for you. No, no, (laughs) don't feel bad. This this is the the consequence of doing things that are uh, interesting, you know, and and this is a big opinion that I have. You know, a lot of people make these five-year plans about their career, but if you know exactly where you're going to be five years from today, either your work isn't interesting enough or you're not accounting for all the risk that's embedded in it. Right. Uh, because there's entire industries five years from now that exist now, but that are going to be abolished by a new technology or, or that, you know, that people won't expect will will decline or, or, or be there in the first place. Or look at artificial intelligence. <laughs> and so I think this, that's a fascinating place to start is, you know, th- there are certain things that make us uncomfortable. Right. And I I think using that discomfort with a certain task, with a certain conversation, with anything, it's an indicator of value more often than not. Because the fact that something is aversive to us on some level um, is it means that not everybody can do it. Not everybody's going to step up to do it. And so if we do, we can deliver unique value through that thing. And I think that even translates to how challenging our work is in general. You know, the more challenging a task is, the more we need to focus on it in order to accomplish it. You know, if you're entering data into a spreadsheet, that doesn't really make 
much use of your unique skill set. You know, your mind might wander, you might not totally be into what you're doing. But on the other hand, if you're mentoring a new employee that joined your team, that conversation and thinking about how you can set them them up to to succeed in whatever role you hired them to do, that requires your full ability. And, and you know, encountering new challenges, new discomforts, that pushes on the edge of your ability, and that's how you right. kind of uh, expand that circle outward. And, and so, you know, and, and if you look at our attention on a moment by moment basis as well, we're the most engaged with what we're doing when the work that we're working on is slightly more difficult than our ability to get it done. Uh, and so we become more immersed in what we're doing when that's the case. And so, you know, I, I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. You can link to it in the, uh, you have show notes, right? Yeah, yeah, show notes? definitely. Like, okay. yep. Yeah, th th there's like a, it was like a controversial thing. I think I called it like, um, not can't focus, make your work harder or do more. <laughs> Great. And I think this is true. You know, if we find ourselves distracted throughout the day, there, that's a sign that our work is expanding to fit how much time we have available for its completion. And this is a phenomenon that in, Parkins, in uh, productivity circles is referred to as Parkinson's law. And it's really an idea that we need to take to heart because busy work is sometimes a sign that, you know, A, we don't have enough on our plate. But or we're not running towards the more uh, uncomfortable or challenging things. But maybe that we need to take on projects that are more complex that actually make use of our focus in the first place. Right. I actually should clarify that I found after finishing the book how often I'm doing work I don't need to be doing, but makes me mm -hmm. more anxious because I'm avoiding the thing I do need to be doing. Like yeah. the endless inbox scroll <laughs> that's like almost like I just didn't none of it was crystallized. It's like you kind of know in the back of your mind, but you don't realize the extent to which, oh, I'm just looking for stuff in here to be anxious about. <laughs> yeah. And because and I already have the feeling, you know, like I already feel I'm looking for a way to be even more distracted and unfocused than I already <laughs> am. It's... I think a part of us know on some level that we're distracted quite a bit, but we don't realize the extent to which we are. Uh, one of the most illuminating statistics I encountered over the course of writing the book is that when we're doing work in front of a computer, on average, we focus on one thing for just 40 seconds before insane. we switch to doing something. It really is. It's freaking insane. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if somebody looked, if like an alien was hovering above the work that we were doing, I'm not sure why it needs to be an alien. Maybe it could just be a regular <laughs> human being that has like... An alien would be weirded passion. out by literally all of it, probably. Yeah. It's like, why is this person hammering at a computer and why does he look sad? <laughs> But imagine Tom Cruise is hovering above you um, with like one of those suits that's attached to strings. And so he's observing you working. Tom Cruise would, would think you're insane, even perfect. though Tom Cruise that's is slightly. Yeah. And and, you know, he's a very insane man himself in a lot of different ways. But he would think you're insane switching between things every 40 seconds. And so I, I think that's a big power of of managing our attention better is, you know, observing these patterns in ourself, uh, observing how frequently we switch between things, observing how often we're working on something that we intended to do in the first place, which usually 
isn't that often. And so right. there's so much to observe in ourselves. Sometimes we just need a little nudge right. in a certain direction that tells us, that, yeah, man, like you only focus for 40 seconds. Maybe yeah. you should get a, a, a handle on that. Yeah. Or even just start by looking at it. Like you're saying, like, do you actually know? So it's really interesting, the idea that you, you talk about intention and this idea of like, how often are you actually practicing intention? Because I think that's another thing. We think, I feel like I wake up every single day and I have a to-do list I need to tackle and I'm in my meetings and I'm on my calls and I'm doing my work. And then it's not till you're really looking at it that you realize how often you're, you don't have intention or you're actually being mindless. Like you're yeah. not there while you think you're there. It's free. Well, you can... It really is. Yeah. So why are we doing what we're doing? It's because our environments are guiding us to behave and think in a certain way. A lot of the time we get an email notification in the corner of our screen and then that becomes what we pay attention to in that instance. In that way, uh, technology has a way of tricking us into thinking things are more important than they actually are. You know, waking up is a good example. (laughs) You know, studies show that when we're distracted or interrupted completely by something, you know, often we get back on track pretty quickly. But when we're interrupted or distracted completely by something, it takes an average of 25, 26 minutes to resume working on what we were originally working on before we got distracted or interrupted. And it, it might be hard to believe those two statistics on the surface. You know, we switch every 40 seconds, we get interrupted for 25, 26 minutes. But look what happens when you wake up. So maybe you don't have a traditional alarm clock. You have a phone and your phone wakes you up every morning. So, you know, you pull your phone up and you hit stop or snooze a few times, but you pick it up finally and you go to your email. You see that one came in overnight. You check that out. And maybe 40 seconds later, you bounce over to Instagram. And then 40 seconds after that, you go to Facebook. And 40 seconds after that, you check the news. And before 25, 26 minutes have gone by and you're still laying in bed, not having started the day. And, and you know, so it's we like know you're we're distracted me. when we're in that circle. <laughs> it, yeah, I have, yeah, this, no, I don't have cameras, I promise. <laughs> that is, is exactly, uh, that is every morning. Yeah, it, this is every morning for a lot of for people. Most, yeah. When, yeah, when, when we don't deliberately manage our attention. Uh, and the reason for this is actually quite interesting. There's this novelty bias embedded within our brain where each time we focus on something that's new and novel, uh, our brain rewards us with a hit of dopamine, that that wonderful pleasure chemical, same one that's released when we uh, do some cocaine. We, we're all, no, I've never done cocaine, but I've heard. But it's like we basically it, have it all around us now in different forms. We really are. And when you look at how somebody uses their phone, it's junky behavior. You know, if the first thing you did in the morning was reach for a bottle of whiskey, you'd be an alcoholic. Right. And so what does it say when you spend half an hour on your phone before you even get out of bed? And uh, I forget who, that's not my my quote originally. I forget who said it though, but it's so uh, poignant because we really don't manage our attention deliberately. And because of that, um, we, we, you know, this novelty bias, each time we focus on something new and novel, we get rewarded with a hit of dopamine, that sweet, sweet pleasure chemical. And so this is why using our phone is so stimulating and why we do it over what we truly, deeply want to be doing, <laughs> you know, right. which is pretty much everything else. It's the conversation in front of us. Right. It's the report we're writing. It's a spreadsheet we're updating. It's, it's the person that we're with. 
And, and so I think, you know, it, it's an uphill battle sometimes for that reason, but it's just all the more worthwhile when you realize that our brains are wired for distraction. Right. I have to tell you, actually, since finishing the book on, and it's not perfect, and this another thing, like, it takes a lot of, even when you know it, it takes so much time because of the wiring to change it. But on oh, most yeah. mornings since finishing the book, I've now switched my routine where it's, I still look at the phone because I, I still can't get over that, like, wait, what if something happened that I need to address quickly? But even that I'm trying to work on, but I've switched it up where now I actually have to get up and leave the phone in the morning. So after I do that, I yeah. leave the phone and I go find something to do. So I want to talk about this that forces me into the sort of like daydreaming mode that you talk about yeah. to let myself reset what I want to do for that day versus having it dictating dictated by the thing that's the distraction in the first place, yeah. which is the phone. Uh, and yeah. it's made a huge difference, like washing the dishes or I tidy up or I just do something that that I don't know if you call you don't call it mindless in the book, but you just say it's something right. I don't think. But you just say it's like something that doesn't require your full attention. Mm-hmm. You can yeah, kind of go into autopilot. Yeah, nothing's yeah. mindless when we do it deliberately. Right. Um, and so I, I, I'm a big advocate, as you know, after reading the book for this uh, deliberate mind wandering mode. So where where we kind of let our attention roam off wherever it wants to. And if you think back to when your best, most uh, brilliant insights and ideas strike you, you're usually not focused on something in those moments. Usually maybe you're taking a shower and then out of the blue, out of the mist, your mind has a chance to connect a few of the constellations of ideas and dots that are swirling around your mind. And it's a wonderful, wonderful mode. There's that great quote from J.R.R. Tolkien where he says that not all those who wander are lost. And I would say that this exact same is true with our attention. So when we deliberately let our mind wander in one way or another, so we're washing the dishes and we're, you know, maybe we're listening to music at the same time and our mind goes from focusing on the dishes to the music to wandering to, and it's wandering most of the time. Maybe we're taking a bath at night. One of my favorite rituals whenever I travel, maybe, maybe you're knitting. I'm a big avid knitter as as much as I don't fit the stereotype because it lets my mind wander while I do something that's effortless, you know, and and habitual. And the the fascinating thing about this mind-wandering mode, you wonder, why do so many ideas come to me in the shower? And it's because of the places that your mind wanders to. And so when you're taking a shower, your mind has been shown to think about the future um, when your mind is wandering 14 times as often as when you're focused on something. You know, what a what a marvelous statistic. Yeah. We never think about our goals when we're focused. We think about our goals when our attention rests, when it wanders to different ideas, to uh, to the future, and, and while it rests at the same time. it's um, what, What's your favorite way of getting into that mode? I think, honestly, cleaning, which I think yeah. I've always found. I've always found cleaning... Not, you know, sometimes people are like, I find it therapeutic, which this might be like what they're referring to. I didn't, I actually, before I read the book, I found it stressful because I would mentally think of it as a thing on my to-do list. Oh, shoot, it's mm-hmm. it's cluttered in here. It's dirty. It's bothering me. I really need to do that at some point, but not right now. But then yeah. 
I read the book, I finished the book and I was like, you know what, if I could use this, if I could think of this as time for me, if I could think of this as important for my mind, like I don't have to look at it as something else that's on the to-do list. And that's what shifted it for me. And it's been, it used to be the shower. And I think the shower, I think when you feel desperate to take a shower, that's a bad point. For me personally, that's when I knew it was a bad point because I think I had re- I didn't even realize that's what I mean. That's what I think the book is so amazing because it's kind of like you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I did feel that bad. But as I was realizing as I was reading, I realized the shower has become I've become desperate for my shower time because I always know that I'm going to solve a problem in the shower. But the desperation yeah. is because I know it's the only time I'm going to solve a problem, which means it's the yeah. only time that I'm letting my mind actually relax and wander which yeah is and scary the, like the, the relaxation is such a big part of that it, and this is the consequence of switching between things every 40 seconds all day all day all day all day all day is it's kind of numbing in a way where you go from checking the news to checking your email and there's all this stimuli coming in and you're always directing your attention outward and never directing your attention inward right you know we can't think and focus on something at the same time. We can't reflect on something and focus on it at the same time. And you know, the, if you never reflect in your life, what kind of life are you going to have? Um, it, it's going to be one that doesn't have as much meaning as as one could. You know, it, because meaning, in my opinion, it's not something that we create, but it's something we notice. There's meaning all around us. If you look at your partner, your uh, your family, your your house, you have shelter, you have wonderful food, you have pizza available in an app any time <laughs> of the day. You just click two buttons and boom, there's pizza that shows up on, on your door. Like what a, an amazing world in which we live, but we don't notice the meaning that's right. around us. Right. And um, I think, you know, that stimulate, if you descri- if you ask somebody to describe what their focus is like, and that somebody is very highly stimulated, they're, they're going to use different words than somebody who's in a state of low stimulation, who, who takes more time to focus on things. You know, somebody who's in a state of this low level of stimulation. They're, they're going to use words such as, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm thoughtful and like insights come to me and I feel like I'm deliberate and focused and that I see meaning in what's around me. But you ask somebody who's in that state of high stimulation to describe the state of their attention and they'll use words like distracted and uh, overwhelmed and kind of numb and like right. I don't really have control and like you were saying like on autopilot mode I just kind of I don't feel like I have a sense of purpose but it, it speaks to you know one of the main ideas that I talk in the book which is that the state of our attention determines the state of our lives uh, if we're distracted in each moment those moments build up over time to, to create a life that feels like we're distracted, like we don't have a purpose, like we don't have intention behind what we're doing. And we're going to feel like we're sort of uh, treading water in that way. Uh, versus if you're in a state of lower stimulation, if you take time for things, you notice the meaning, you focus on what actually allows you to accomplish things as opposed to, to the busy work like we were chatting about before. Um, one study that I love to share, it's one of the most illuminating 
studies that I've ever encountered around this idea uh, involved the Boston Marathon bombings that occurred, I, I think, in, in 2013. And the study examined two groups of people. The first group of people uh, watched six or more hours of news coverage about the Boston Marathon. And the second group of people uh, ran in the actual marathon. And the researchers found that those who watched six or more hours of news coverage about the Boston Marathon bombings were more likely to develop PTSD than somebody who was in the marathon and personally affected by it. Oh my gosh. It's remarkable, but but it it speaks to that idea. The state of our attention determines the state of our life. Okay, but I still think it makes it Let's let's say cuz I'm I'm fully convinced post reading but let's say if someone's just listening to you and they think to themselves but how do I how do I set my intentions so for example my husband feels very committed to staying plugged into the news but he knows that at a certain point it's too much so how do you decide do you set an amount of time how specific do you need to be with your intention is it like you know what I mean? Like, how do you actually decide to get it under control if you're yeah. too, if you're not someone who's going to be like, you know what, that's it starting today. I'm completely unplugging, which I think is mm-hmm. a very hard thing to do. So the the intention to disconnect or, or consume better information? I guess just any time you're like, you know what, I'm going to have more intention about my focus and my time. Do you need to be, is it about like, I'm going to set parameters and rules? Is it about like, what's a way that someone could start, you know, if tomorrow Mm -hmm. morning they're like, you know what, today my intention is I'm going to look at the news, but I'm not going to look at it for six hours. What do they, like how specific, do they have to be, okay, you know what, I'm going to look at it for 30 minutes or I'm going to only look at it, you know, at this one news source? Like, how Mm -hmm. do you just like even get started with deciding to live with more intention? Yeah. So I think the way to to greater intention is through lower stimulation. And I I would say look at how the different elements of your digital life, especially because let's be honest, most of these things are digital. Usually the physical um, distractions that we have, we don't have control over. You know, our kid you know, bursts into the room when we're trying to, you know, have an interview or focus or something. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I think noticing how digital things make you feel, that that is one of the most underrated ideas that that we can implement implement right away. So look at the apps on your phone. This is, it's it's such a simple idea, but when you're about to open up email are your shoulders tensed up are you are you holding your breath email apnea is something that's actually studied where people hold their breath as they check for new oh, email messages um you know so examine how different things make you feel when you're about to uh, go to a news website how does that thing make you feel so there is kind of this balance that like you were hitting on uh, on staying connected but at the same time um staying informed and happy. Uh, So, you know, one of the best changes that I've made in a long, long time was to subscribe to the physical newspaper. So every morning, uh, I'm Canadian. Yeah, I don't know if you could tell by my voice, but I get a copy (laughs) of the New York Times and and the Globe and Mail, the Canadian newspaper. And I, I find it's a wonderful way to ease into the day. I have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. I drink that. I read the newspaper. And there's no banner ads to distract you. There's no... Right. 
um, you know, top trending stories. There's, you know, instead of refreshing every five minutes, like the New York times.com, the paper refreshes once every day. It refreshes very slowly. So there's no alternative, right. uh, object of attention when you're on the page. We actually read differently when we're reading something physical versus something digital. But when we're reading something digital, our eyes have been shown to scan the page, um, whereas when we're reading in kind of like an F-shaped pattern, um, but when we're reading something physical, we actually read line by line by line by line right. and become more immersed in what we're doing. Wow. And so I think that's that's a big part of it is, you know, jumping from the physical to the digital, that's a big part of it, but also taming many of the problem distractions that we have, deleting the apps that make you feel sad. <laughs> My fiance and I, we were hanging out over the course of when I was writing the book. And uh, she looked really sad when she was tapping around on her phone. And I asked her, um, you know, Arden, what, what app are you on? She said, I'm on Tinder. No, I'm just kidding. She was on Facebook. <laughs> and, and, and I said, like, do you realize how you look really sad right now? Um, and she's, she said, yeah, I guess like, I guess I am. Yeah. And so just then and there, she deleted the app. You know, it's kind of this stimulating way of of thinking we're informed when really we're just kind of looking at other people's lives and and the 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 part of them that they want to show us. Right. And so, you know, a great way to to deal with our phone too is there's this wonderful mode on our phone called grayscale mode, and it's an accessibility feature on most phones. So if you go into the settings app and you search for grayscale, uh, G R A Y scale. Um, it turns your phone's screen black and white. And what I Whoa. find is when I have this, yeah, is when I have this mode enabled, I spend about half of the time that I usually do on my phone, um, uh, just kind of mindlessly looking around at, at different apps. And so it doesn't really change the functionality of your phone. And sometimes maybe you'll, you'll want to enable it for a few minutes when you're posting something to Instagram. But the rest of the time, the, your phone is going to be significantly less attractive because it looks just like a newspaper. Right. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. I want to talk about meditation versus the daydreaming because I want to make sure I got it right. Mm. And I feel like it's a really good distinction that you have in the book that, first of all, so fascinating that you say that the research basically shows nothing expands your ability to pay attention, literally nothing except for meditation, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. but that meditation actually helps you with your focus, whereas daydreaming helps you with your creativity. And yeah. what Jess calls, so Jess and I were just talking about this and she was like, I, I marinate, I feel like I marinate mm -hmm. on ideas. And I, I think that it's really interesting because you kind of designate between different types of daydreaming in the book. And marination yeah. to me is kind of the one where you're focusing on a problem, right? You're like, so she would, she said, oh, you know, sometimes I'll feel like I'm procrastinating, but actually I'll be thinking about the thing that I'm doing. Like I'll be thinking about my writing. And then by the time I sit down to actually write, it's all these ideas I've worked out in my mind, which I yeah. think that's the same as right what you say, which is focused daydreaming, which is super <laughs> interesting because I think sometimes I will over rely on meditation to to solve a problem or to be creative and I'll finish the meditation I'll be like well I'm energized and I want to go do my to-do list but I don't feel like I was just creative and that's essentially what you're saying in the book is that's not how it works yeah meditation is fascinating for for that reason the, and like you said there are very few things that give us more focus uh, there there's a lot of brain training apps but the research doesn't really 
support what, what they claim they allow you to do. Um, the only thing that allows us, well, there are actually a few strategies that uh, allow us to bring more attention to what we're doing in the moment. Um, you know, investing in our happiness by, by recalling three things we're grateful for every day actually expands how much attention we have to give to the world around us. But th the one thing that affects us the most, study after study after study shows, um, is meditation. In fact, it gives you about 30% more focus to give to whatever's in front of you. And so if you, if you think like your work is just a bit more complex than you have the capacity to focus on in the moment, meditation will help you focus on more in the moment and process more in the moment, which also makes you more creative. The fascinating thing about meditation is that when you have an active meditation practice, when your mind is wandering, it actually wanders more often to think about the future and less about the past. And so these mind-wandering episodes, when you're washing the dishes, when you're taking a shower, when you're going on a walk through nature or run on your lunch break, they become more productive because you plan more often for the future. You know, what, what a wonderful uh, you know side effect of meditation. Not only do you have more focus to give to the world around you and what you're processing in the moment, but you have um, that that greater future focused tendency as well. Right. Um, yeah, so so mind wander. We I love that idea of marination. <laughs> I love that. I wish I I could have stolen that for the book. <laughs> but uh, you know, there there are a few kind of um, ways by which we can mind wander that are worth. Uh, delineating. Uh, the first is the capture mode. So where you just kind of sit somewhere and capture the ideas that come to us, that come to you. Th this is a wonderful thing to do over a cup of coffee in the morning. Your mind might become a bit restless and a bit bored, but ideas will uh, surface to, to the top of your mind when you do this. Um, problem crunching mode, which you might do when you're working on uh, a certain project or, or, or an essay or something, you're kind of thinking about how to approach it. This is when you let your mind wander while letting it turn over this one specific problem in your mind. And, and so it's, it's remarkably productive in that you know, you, you begin to look at this problem from uh, different angles and you're more likely to come up with an insightful solution to it. But the most powerful way of letting our mind wander is by doing something simple and habitual at the time. Um, I just call this habitual mode versus uh, problem crunching mode and, and our capture mode. And whatever this is, you know, taking a shower, swimming, laps at the pool, just having your morning coffee, maybe doing some knitting, if you're like me. Knitting is one of the most underrated hobbies that I think is in existence. But habitual tasks have been shown in studies to lead us to a greater number of creative insights. While it makes this mind-wandering mode fun, while it, it kind of weights our attention down right. so that we can scatter it for a bit longer. So, you know, meditation, it, it's a practice of continually drawing our attention back to one thing. Um, and so the, this, this, you know, my, these mind-wandering modes are the opposite. Instead of trying to pull our attention in, we let it go free to, to where we want. Maybe sometimes bringing it back if we're solving a specific problem. But basically you get better, not better because it's not even like you're, that's what you're saying, but just the mind wandering, mind wandering gets better <laughs> if you meditate more. 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, right. you'll think about the future more. You'll think about your goals more. Uh, you're, you'll connect more ideas. And meditation, it makes you more focused because you notice when your mind has wandered. Our, our, mind, our mind wanders a remarkable 47% of the day. Mo most of that is against our will, though, when we right. want to focus on something. Um, so mind wandering, it, it makes both of these modes better. It yeah. makes us better able to focus on something because we notice when we're distracted or wandering, but it also lets us wander more creatively. Right. So, and these, these, you know, this, the focused and the unfocused modes of our mind, which I like to call hyper-focus and scatter-focus, the, they get to cross-pollinate a bit more because these beautiful ideas that strike you when your mind is wandering because it wanders to the future and ideas more because you're meditating, that informs what you focus on in the first place. And that gives you, focusing on better information allows you to connect more information more creatively later on. And so, it's this wonderful, wonderful uh, cross-pollination of our attention um, that is is possible through meditation. It's really remarkable when you sit down and think about it. And so simple, like very yeah. uncomplicated, which is amazing really is. because I think we tend yeah. to think like, you know, we put it off because we think it'll be really hard, but it's not. It's yeah. just like turning the, yeah, like what you're saying, turning what is already so much of your day being like, don't you want it to be your choice? Don't you want to set some intention yeah. to it? Because it's not that hard to do that, but it would feel much better. Mm -hmm. um, it, yeah, I, I think the quality of our attention is directly proportional uh, to what percent of our day we spend with intention behind what we're doing. Right. And so that, that affects your quality of life. That, that affects everything. How much control you have over your attention, it affects everything that you do and everything that you are and everything about how you relate to the world. Um, it, it really is quite fascinating. It's amazing. Okay. So I want to ask you about a part of the book that I think is kind of controversial. You should totally write Ooh. another New York times article about it, but <laughs> the idea of like fantasy and positive thinking and how that doesn't actually contribute to making your life better. Yeah. Yeah, positive thinking is uh, total BS. You know, yes, it because so you amazing. think positive, you think positively about something at the expense of actually doing something about that thing and making your life more positive as a result. Um, and, and so you th fantasize about, you know, getting the six pack abs by the summertime. And because, and here's the thing, because you had that fantasy about the six pack abs, that makes you more likely to work out because you feel like you've done a workout in your mind. Right. Uh, and so this is the case, you know, it's total bullshit. Sorry. Oh my God. No, I want to like, I want to do like a whip crack uh, sound effect because it's so, it's so, okay. But then yeah. here's my question. I hate do positive you, thinking. But I really do. But okay, I do. because so much of what you're talking about is thinking about the future. And I guess yeah. then I wonder where's the line between visualizing a future and and just positive thinking like is it still beneficial for me to picture okay I want to write let's say someone wants to write a book okay I want to write this book I'm going to mm -hmm. picture myself writing this book do do you not do that at all no I just write the book <laughs> this is how we know that you're a perfect example of what happens when you just get your productivity under control <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I'm not into thinking positive. It's just that I'm not into positive thinking because the research shows that it doesn't hold water. Right. You know, that w nothing will ever be as rewarding 
than taking steps towards the future that you want to become a reality. That, that's, you know, the, the, the process is such a reward when you actually act towards the goals that you want instead of just thinking about them. Right. And, you know, if you need some evidence that positive thinking doesn't work as opposed to, you know, it, I have never seen a study that shows that positive thinking works. Um, there, there are some that shows like visualizing the future, but also visualizing at the same time how you're going to do that future. Right. That, that works because right. you think about the process. Then you're actually making um, a plan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's um yeah, you got to have a plan. <laughs> if you don't have a plan, one of my favorite studies um involves new year's resolutions, which is which are, you know, essentially fantasies about how we want the future to be. Um and the research shows that 92% of people fail at the new year's resolutions they make. 92% so yeah. <laughs> that that's more than a nine out of ten failure rate for New Year's resolutions. I'm not against making resolutions. We should be making them every every day, in my opinion. Right. But I am against making a resolution without a concrete plan for how you're going to make it a reality. Because the moment you stop caring about what the change that you want to make is, you have nothing to fall back on except your own hopes and dreams. So satisfying to hear that. Not that I don't do it all the time, but it just really feels, I guess it feels, and you, you touched on this earlier, and I think your book in general, it felt like a relief to have to get coached in a way that I think is a little more firm than a lot of stuff tends to be, mm -hmm. but also in a way that lets you off the hook for stuff you think you're doing wrong. So like, yeah. oh, when I'm being negative, I'm really, you know, oh no, it's the law of attraction. Like I'm not going to attract what I need in my life. Yeah. And it's like, eh, that's not true. I can just like, as long as I'm working out, I can have a bad attitude. <laughs> Yeah, th this is um, I'm doing shit. It's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the thing. Like we're so hard on ourselves totally. as we strive to become more productive. But when you realize that your brain is wired to be distracted, that positive thinking doesn't necessarily work, um, that our minds wander for about half of the day, largely against our will, um, that we pay attention to anything new and novel. So maybe laying down in your bed and focusing on your phone for a bit is, is uh, something that not only you do, you know, these, these are universal ideas that we are distracted. And, and so because of that, I think it's so critical to be kind to ourselves as we, uh, try to become more focused. And, and this was, this is kind of a, a part that I dislike about writing about productivity is the very idea that you want to become more productive or more focused or more whatever, um, implies on some level that you're not entirely satisfied with what you're doing already. And it's a difficult thing to rectify, but but I think the best way to do so is to find ways to always cultivate your happiness while never truly being satisfied with where you are, to always uh, strive for more because frankly, we're always improving and we're always capable of doing more. And you know, at the risk of turning into a motivational speech or anything like that, I, there are practical, tactical things that we can do on the daily in order to focus 
um, better and, and become happier. Recalling three things we're grateful for at the end of the day with our partner um, is a wonderful way of ending the day. And somebody asked me in a um, in, after I, I gave a keynote somewhere, like, you know, do you ever run out of things, you and Arden? And I said, like, no, we could probably name 20 things every single day because new things are always happening. You can always re-reflect on things that, that you love in your life. Um, you know, if, things like listening to music and and uh, spending time in creative hobbies. These things make us happier. Journaling about great experiences that happen to us and, and journaling about all that we have to be grateful for, you know, noticing all the beautiful things in our life. These are ways to cultivate our happiness um, while allowing us to achieve our goals at the same time. What One study that I love uh, was conducted by Sean Aker out of Harvard University, and he found that happier people are 31% more productive than people who are in a neutral state of mind or a negative state of mind. Wow. 31% more productive. What what a beautiful yeah. uh, reason to invest in your happiness, but cultivating, uh, you know, positive thinking um really does get in the way of your happiness because you're going to be worse off overall. Um and, and I think that's a, a lesson to take to heart. Oh, totally. Man, basically anyone who feels like they need to let themselves off the hook a little bit and focus on their future, I think should read this book. And that's everyone. You. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay, tell everyone where to find you, where to find the book. Like, is it all on your website? Are there two separate places? Give them all the yeah. info. Yeah, so you read the audiobook, eh? Yes. Yeah, what'd you think? Was it, is it weird talking to me now because you listened to my yeah, voice like for I'm seven hours already? I feel like I'm listening to an extension of the book, but I'm getting to ask you questions. It's pretty yeah, special. Yeah, it's like, it's like you could talk back to the TV or something. <laughs> we, we recorded the audiobook, funny story, in the same studio that Uptown Funk was recorded in. So like oh, where I was cool. sitting, Bruno Mars was in that same seat just sitting. Oh, this man. Yeah, and Justin Bieber <laughs> recorded an album in that studio. That's and they, they really hooked me up for this. Uh, maybe they got they probably got a deal because it's publishing. <laughs> but oh, but yeah, the, the audio book is... I love that. The, it's a the audiobook is on Audible and other bookstores, um, and the book is called Hyperfocus. It's wherever books are sold. Any any bookstore you can pick it up. There's the the e copy as well with all the. Um, if you look, I, I'm I'm quite partial to the physical book myself. If you flip open to you know those like weird pages before the book uh, starts, it, it, they'll say it'll say illustrations by Chris Bailey and Sinisa <laughs> Sumina who helps me with illustrations. I. I I did like everything, every illustration in the book, kind of like chicken scratch on a map. Oh, now I feel like I need to get it. And so it's like, uh, yeah, it's uh, like I I find it to be a very visual idea, but it's, um, you know, the audio book is kind of theater. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah, I'd be happy if anybody checked out the book. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, they need to. Thank you.